This episode of Friends Talking Nerdy is brought to you by this show's very first patron, Ruth Firetag. She heard about this show from her lovely daughter, Meredith, who happens to be our guest star on this episode here, where we uh, continue our discussion on Star Trek. She went to Patreon and uh, became our very first patron, uh, donating money monthly to us to make this show better. So thank you very much, Ruth, and we hope uh, you enjoy the show. Captain's Lock, Stardate 6051. Had trouble sleeping last night. My hiatal hernia is acting up. The ship is drafty and damp. I complain, but nobody listens. Star Trek 12. So very tired. See the original cast in their latest, greatest adventure. Captain Klingons off the starboard bow. Again with the Klingons. Mr. Scott, give me full power. It's no good, Captain. I cannot reach the control panel. Boobies! What a rip-off! I don't have to sit here and take this! I... If your friends are nerdy and you are nerdy So we go from one of the best Star Trek movies to a rather mediocre one. Star Trek Three: The Search for Spock. Now, at the end, uh, the whole purpose of going into Star Trek Two, N- Nimoy thought, and eh, they're not going to make another one, so might as well go out in style. But he had so much fun filming that movie that, with the success that Star Trek Two became, they brought him back. And they even they uh, obviously at the end of uh, Star Trek Two, they did plant seeds with the whole mind meld and remember uh, deal with him and McCoy, um, but. Star Trek Three: The Search for Spock. What thoughts? Yeah. What do we think about that? That was another one where I feel like most of the movie was. Yeah. See, there it is. See, there we go. We go from high, and we go right on down to low. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like it. It just was again like another like. It felt like an excuse. Um, <laughs> most of the movie did just to to kind of make another movie and and the you know like the end was the the only sort of worthwhile part for me um but i i just again feel like and maybe this is uncharitable but i just feel like shatner was like i want another reason to shatner around as kirk um and, and I I was not horribly impressed with that one. They, again, it's just not terribly memorable to me. That you know, they have this whole journey, and it, it's the end. This is the only part that sticks. And I yeah, find him. Yeah, yeah. You, you're, I, 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 I concur with you on that one. It, it, it's like that. Now, you know, Nemo did direct this one, but the two were so successful. You know, it, 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 it you know it, it was such you know it was such a, a, a big moneymaker for that time. You know, uh, you know Paramount's like you got cool. hey G Rodbury's like you kidding? You know we got we got you know make this money. But you're right. It 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 is it it's it's not as un it. I wouldn't say. I mean, it's kind of like which is the worst Star Trek movie, but it's not as unwatchable. But it's just like oh God. You know, I mean, the, one of the best parts is you know seeing you know you know Christopher Lloyd play a Klingon. That's that's kind of cool. Oh yeah, yeah. that's that's interesting. 
for me, I, I, you know, like I said, I, I think the movie for me is just mediocre. I mean, if it's on TV, I got no problem watching it. It does have some rewatchability compared to uh, Star Trek The Motion Picture. For me, though, my big complaint is just the scope. It felt like a smaller movie. You know, when the Genesis planet was exploding, mm-hmm. it really felt like they were just on a set. And, you know, whereas in uh, the previous movie, when they had, uh, you know, Kirk, McCoy, Marcus, and the others in the Genesis cave, even though it was a matte painting, it still felt big. It felt huge. And, it, you know, the search for Spock did not feel like a grand epic that it was. It could have been. Yeah. 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 I mean, we did. I think, you know. Yeah, we did Sorry. see the uh, destruction of the original Enterprise, though. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think maybe that was a, it, was, it was a change, but that, but yeah, it's just I, I think it just just progressed. It just moved it along. I think it was about this the this the fact that we're really hot. These film, you know, we're 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 kind of making you know making money. Let's let's just keep that you know keep that going. Yeah, keep that wagon train going. Yeah, <laughs> don't don't blame. Like I said, it, it's it, like like I said before, we know what's coming is going to be worth it. So it's going to be worth the wait. Yeah, that ride. It was. That's one thing about Star Trek that was always oh, like a roller coaster. Oh boy, it's gonna be bad. But when we come after this, it's gonna be so nice. Ah, uh, it's gonna be bad. Come again, it's gonna be so nice. Mm-hmm. It's just that pattern just keeps coming back. Yeah, up and down, up and down. Yeah. Yep. And with that, we got another up. Star Trek IV: The Voyage Home. Uh, what was originally intended to be a vehicle where Eddie Murphy was the co-star. What? Yeah, Eddie Eddie Murphy what? was. Yeah, they, Eddie Murphy said he was a fan, so they created the movie, and the, his character ended up becoming the Catherine Hicks character. The mother oh from... Oh, my God. Yeah, the mother from Seventh Heaven um, became the role uh, became the role that uh, Eddie Murphy was supposed to play, the, the scientist that, you know, uh, helped with uh, the whales, uh, George and Gracie. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, I mean, thankfully, Eddie Murphy had the right mindset at the end. I mean, he realized that that if he had been involved, it would have been like Superman 3. It would have been, you know, Eddie Murphy in a Star Trek film. Superman 3 was Richard Pryor in in a Superman film, and it didn't, Uh, yeah, it... Oh boy, that that's we should we should do a podcast about that. Films that you go, what the fuck, man? Well, Superman wow. three was not Superman four bad. I mean, there's some good elements about three, but um, the Voyage Home. Then one thing I liked is that it was an, a, a third part of the story. I mean, the Wrath of Khan, Search for Spock, and the Voyage Home are one long story. Um, secondly, I like the fact that it was a, a movie with a message. But they didn't pound you over the head about it. It was uh, uh, around the time in the 80s that, you know, stuff like Earth Day first started hitting, you know, awareness of environmental issues. And, you know, talking about how, you know, causing an animal to go extinct could cause cause problems in the future. Something people got to think about. But, you know, people are only going to really consider that if you don't hit them over the head with that message. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But uh, it it worked out great, the fact that... The, the seeing them in modern time, I think, was really kind of funny. Really, kind of like a fish out of water story. And this one was more subdued than in three. You know, where three got a little hammy. This one, they had, they literally had. You know, it, it seems to move much smoother, much, much better. This is probably why this, I think this is like, you know, like maybe after Khan, my second favorite uh, old old school uh, Star Trek movie. For me, though, I would say it's the closest that the movies got to capturing the feel of the original show. Yeah. 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 
Yeah, that's that's so yeah. You're, you're spot on. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, I I'd agree with that. You know, I think that the characters kind of like came through um, really well in this one, and, and kind of the the setup of the the plot and being in modern times. Yeah, kind of let them. Um, revisit, but in a in a kind of new, fresh way, like who they were and how they interacted, and 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 that dynamic that was so good um, in the in the original show. And I agree with you about the message. They did a really good job highlighting, like, hey guys, maybe this is something we should. I don't know, maybe kind of maybe think about, sort of. But it, yeah. uh, but it wasn't it wasn't super preachy but it it clearly you know illustrated and and made it fun and engaging and you, you they did do a good job of you know sweeping you along in the story um about whales which <laughs> kind of kind of random but also it 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 was a cool um demonstration of of these questions that were kind of starting to be brought up about like how do we take care of our current planet because you know star trek is in the future and the planet's perfect there's no money everything's fine there you know like we can replicate whatever we need and and resources aren't as much of an issue to kind of leave that those current issues behind but then in this movie you get to kind of start that like readdressing of what can temporarily we should be um keeping in mind for for that ideal in the future to hopefully get there someday we'll live in star trek uh but oh, well I, at, at this rate we're probably going to be more in idiocracy times but I, you um, know what? <laughs> I need to have faith i need to have faith whenever i get down on humanity i'm like i'm gonna watch some star trek <laughs> I, I think we can get there one day Med- meditation's the key, meditation's <laughs> the key. Or, or lots of weed <laughs> Well, from there, Star Trek was becoming big, booming business. So Paramount decided, why don't we bring back another show? Um, Gene Roddenberry, there's another great documentary on Netflix that William Shatner did, of all people, called Chaos on the, Chaos on the Bridge, which um, kind of a behind-the-scenes exploration of how Star Trek The Next Generation uh, came to be. And um, it essentially, Paramount found a way to essentially trick Gene Roddenberry into doing the show again. And But the good thing about this, and I think more studios should take note of what Gene Roddenberry did, is Gene Roddenberry essentially did a soft reboot. You know, unlike the Ghostbusters remake that tried to redo everything again, everybody knew Star Trek. Why try to recreate it? Make something different. And, you know, he did that, you know, with, with you know, the, the characters alone. I mean, Picard, nothing like Kirk. Riker, the Riker was nothing like Spock, and, and just you know some of the great characters they had. Um, what are what are our thoughts on the Next Generation? Love it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I think they they did a fantastic job modernizing, um, you know, some of the classic ideas and themes of yeah, like expanding our knowledge and our, our horizons as. Um, as many peoples at that point and, um, and, you know, continuing that, that human urge for more. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, the the time had progressed and women actually wore the same uniforms instead of (laughs) miniskirts where I still don't understand how they didn't flash the audience the entire time during the original series. Like I just... Maybe they Mind were swimming well. trunks. I don't. But yeah, you got to remember that season one, uh, Troy did have some rather 
unique outfits, to say the least. Form-fitting would be the right way to say that, Tim. Form-fitting. I, yeah, and and you know, there's still were were definitely moments in that show that I don't think were as kind of up to speed in the feminist aspect as uh, as perhaps some of the later ones. But then yeah. we're still not there in the world today. So, um, but but they did, you know, they did a better job, and and they. Um, I just think they, you know, brought up new questions or questions that had kind of like been unanswered or were continuing to be asked um, in in newer ways. Um, and so I, I, yeah, I think they did a really beautiful job of like keeping some of the same beauty, but also moving it forward. Expanding on it. Yeah, I think uh, to your point, too, about how women were treated in the show. Um, you know, I, I've spoken about this on, on other issues in previous uh, episodes and how, you know, certain characters are portrayed. Um, you know, and while, yes, women can sometimes be emotional, I don't think I'm, you know, revealing some major surprise here. The characters of, like, tr- the, the female characters, especially in the first season, came off as if a 60-year-old man who's never met a woman tried to cr- imagine what a woman was like. <laughs> It, it, it just it, it did not have a, a, a ring of truthfulness to to the characters. I think Crusher came off okay. That was the one exception, but you had um, uh, Tasha Yar. Um, well, she, I, I, I thought she. I thought that was incredible. She, you know, for first half, you know, a, you know, head of security. That was kind of that was kind of when when she got killed. I was like, wow, that's. They, they're not playing on this. They, no one, no one is safe on that show. But that's the thing, though. They could have done a lot more with her character. I mean, most of the, t- I mean, yeah. her complaint is, is you know, my complaint with her character is that most of the time she was just standing on the bridge, you know, you know, hailing frequencies up, sir, and they didn't really do much. And then, you know, Troy at the beginning of the series was just whiny and emotional. You know, if you should be hurt, we'll. Shut up, you know. But then I think of uh, like the last episode, the last episode of the series. All good things. I absolutely love that little bit near the beginning when Worf and her are coming out of the holodeck, and Worf pauses and he says, he mentions something about um, you know maybe we should talk to you know Commander Riker, and then she has this great look on her face and says, why do we want to invite him along? <laughs> this is, I mean, this is at the time where uh, Worf and. Uh, Troy's romance was was beginning to blossom, and it was great. Yeah. It was great to see uh, that that little that little barb uh, and warp added on the show. But what do you think, uh, No? I think yeah. That this for for me. I mean, I, I think I'll, I'll let Meredith go watch poetic about data. But for me, I think it was um, uh, Smiley, played by Dwight Schultz's character on the holodeck, that really did that for me. And also, Guyane, played by Whoopi Goldberg as well. That really started... When, when they started becoming more on the series, I kind of like that fantasy because for the holodeck scenario, you think about an environment that anything is possible. Mm-hmm. That's the geeky aspect of it that, that, that I liked about it. But also, like I said, you know, meeting, meeting other species. We, we find about, you know, the Ferengi we, we, we find here. We, we find more about the Romulans here. You know, the, the Klingons as well. We find more about the High Command. And, you know, and Worf's ascension up, you know, you know and, and the same with Jordy. Like, uh, there, there's so many aspects of the show that I like that it, it, it just, for science fiction at the time, 
they ran with it. I mean, you know, that, at that time, that was like that show. I mean, I mean, for me in New York, that came on Saturdays at like seven o'clock on like PIX. My dad and I watched the show religiously. It it, it was incredible, incredible. And it also introduced the the bad guys that I hate the most. I just don't like them. Every time they're on, I I, I just skip to the next episode on Netflix. The Borg. Oh, you didn't like well, the board. <laughs> yeah, you blame Q for that. <laughs> well, I mean, the good thing about Q, though, is, uh, you know, the, uh, one, I mean, Q's my favorite character, but that episode, it, Q was just trying to warn them. And, you know, in, in his way, he was trying to help the Enterprise prepare for the oncoming of the Borg. But I never liked the Borg at all. I, at the best of both worlds, even though that's most fans' two favorite episodes, not a fan. I didn't care for it. Wow, really? So why don't you like uh, the Borg? The Borg had no personality. I, sorry, <laughs> you know, uh, I, I just, you know, and it, it, to correlate with another uh, sci-fi uh, series, Doctor Who with the Cybermen. Cybermen mm-hmm. were mechanical beings as well, kind of a hive collective similar to the Borg, but the Cybermen were just better villains. I, I, I don't know. I just never really liked the Borg. Well, you don't see it as a metaphor? Like, I... No? No? Okay. I, that's kind of what I see in the Borg is, like, the the dangerous side of our integration with technology. Like, Star Trek, like, I mean, technology is everything. Like, you think when the ship's computers go down, or I think there's an episode where the ship's computer goes a little crazy and and all hell breaks loose and like they can't survive without the technology however they've they've done it in such a way where you know the advances are constructive and healthy and and help humanity be more humanity and the best of humanity uh rather than than diminishing it and and i think the borg were kind of the contrast to that of like what could happen if we overly integrate with technology, we lose ourselves. We lose our personality, our individuality, and we just become this, you know, kind of consumed force. And so I, I like, they were terrified me as a child. <laughs> like I, oh my god, I mean, they still creep me out today. But I, I think they were. No, they didn't have personality, but I think that's kind of the point. Yeah, and for Star Trek, you had a alien force that no one could stop. And what Q did was send them to a different quadrant and said, let me show you something. It was like, they're coming. And when they started coming, I was like, that really changed the show because that's really what you, I mean, think about it. You have the Fed, you have the Federation itself is a correlation of different species, right? So the Rhino's not part of it. You have other different species that are on living on their own. Don't give two drops about that. Then comes this alien race, or I like how, the, you know, how they got started. They're just taking, it's like, we're, we're taking over, They're, you can't stop us. We're coming on like, like gangbusters and stuff. Change the name of the show. It actually, and the fact, you know, for Picard, one, one he turned, probably not spoiler there, but it just showed that, you know, their determination for that. It just, it just, it, went, it, it was on, man. They, they I, I disagree. I think the, what the board did for that show just moved in a whole different direction. It was some, it was a unique force that had, that they could not stop. I can agree with that. Um, I mean, still not a fan of them, but, you know, that experience, you know, Locutus of Borg brought about uh, the very next episode after the best of both worlds. That's the one where Picard goes, goes back home, and I think that's, no, that's not the one where he picked up the flute, but it was a, just a personal story of him going home and, you know, reconciling with his brother. That was a great episode. 
But yeah, so many great episodes. Um, you know, to your point earlier about uh, technology going nuts. I remember the uh, episode where Data and Jordy go to the holodeck and try to um, have fun with a Sherlock Holmes story. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, Data just solved everything right away. Jordy got bored and tried to leave, but then they tried to, but then Data, uh, Jordy, um, asked the computer to create a, a villain that could beat Data. And then that took over the entire enterprise. Right. So self, you know, self-aware entity. Yep. But you know, also was the one aspect about uh, Star Trek: Next Generation I like is when Crusher, when Doctor Crusher left, that new Doctor. Oh my! It, I mean, <laughs> I, I thought it was tripping, but when I, I mean, I can't remember the actress's name. She, she Diana Mulder. Diana Mulder. I, I, I know nothing against her as an actress. I just think, but for her character as a new medical officer. When she was on, the show just had a totally different feel. And when she was on screen, it was just like, what is she doing? It just, it felt, everything, it just felt, I feel bad to say this. I mean, not taking away Billy as an actress, but just for that, for some reason, her character in that role, I, I could, it, it, it became unwatchable. I don't know, I don't, I really can't ask why. You know, it was, it was this weird thing. Well, it's, it's chemistry. I mean, uh, it's, it's, was said in the Chaos on the Bridge documentary too that, she just did not gel with the cast, and that that showed on the screen. Um, you know, Diana Mulder. You think? <laughs> yeah, um, Diana Mulder did have a history in the original Star Trek. She did appear in a couple of episodes, and she was also in L.A. Law for a while. There was an, a famous episode of L.A. Law where they killed off her character by she was waiting for an elevator. The doors opened up. She stepped in, but the elevator car wasn't there, and she fell to her death. <laughs> yeah. So, um, she, she was tough to, to kind of watch at times, but she had some really great moments. And I think she was, I'm going to jump ahead a little bit, but she was another one where, um, so I didn't like Janeway initially. Um, don't tell Sterling. I, I won't tell Sterling, <laughs> but it, it's funny watching, um, Watching both Janeway and and her as a doctor um, as a younger girl, and then watching them both as an adult woman, and I have a much greater appreciation for both of them and the the way that they handled situations being an adult female because the the kind of like tough harshness that I felt like they both had that I saw as unnecessary. Um, as a child, like, and I now see being an adult, like, as a woman, sometimes you have to be that way. And I, you know, I think one of the things that I liked about Star Trek was that women didn't have to necessarily interact in that, in that kind of fashion in order to be powerful. But, um, but having experienced just trying to, like, being in a position of power as a woman, I kind of, I, Align more with the strategies that they took, and I think it it was um, a good contrast in some ways to Crusher because I think the times when Crusher had to stand up to Picard as well, they had this whole history and personal relationship, and I think Picard had a little well, obviously he had a soft spot for her, and so it was much more you know when she put her foot down, he was like okay, and then and then the times when Picard and um, Oh my God, what was her name? Pulaski. 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 Uh, kind of had face-offs. Like, he didn't have that soft spot for her. In fact, and they didn't really love each other that much. 
as coworkers on the show, but they like they grew to respect each other. And so I I feel like I understand where you're coming from, where she was not as fun to watch, but I think that there is is something to her character that I appreciate now. Well, the goal of that character, you got to keep in mind, they wanted um, Maurice Hurley took over head writing uh, on that show, and they 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 intentionally got rid of Gates McFadden, which was not the right move. But they wanted essentially a female McCoy, and that's okay. I mean they did mm-hmm. they did get that. It's just they you know they they had little things like where they you know there was an episode where she beamed down to a planet that uh, was in the middle of a sickness and. Um, she couldn't come back to the Enterprise until she, you know, cured the disease, but she got the disease herself. And they did. The aging one? Yeah, the aging one. Mm-hmm. And they kind of, yeah. they hinted at why she uh, transferred to the Enterprise, that, you know, she had deep respect for Picard. And, you know, that was great that they mentioned that at all, but they didn't go the extra steps on, you know, to, to your point, showing those two characters kind of melding together. They just never got, they never got comfortable. And, you know, it, it, thankfully, uh, you know, Dr. Crusher came back to the show and, you know, t- it took over from there. Um, now, what about some favorite episodes? Oh, man. I mean, the one that you mentioned uh, where um, they're in the holodeck and Jordy, um, you know, creates ask the computer to create Moriarty and Moriarty coming to life and God, he has some great lines mm-hmm. um, you know, about achieving consciousness and, and our, that that like self-awareness that he suddenly received and the shift and and that was a great episode, especially in, you know, contrasting with, with Data and his questions about um, what it means to be to be human. Uh, God, there's so many good ones. It's so hard. Oh, yeah. Um, I don't know. What are your, some of your favorites? Uh, for me, one of my favorites, uh, there's an episode in season six. Um, it's a two-parter called Chain of Command, where Picard is captured and he's tortured. David Warner, an amazing character actor. Um, I mean, if, if you don't recall his face right now, I can guarantee you've still seen his, his work. Um, he The whole method of the torture was... He had four lights that he would shine at Picard and says, how yeah. many How many lights are there? Picard would say four, and he would go, no, there are five, and then he would, like, shock him and just kept on going and kept on going, and just as at the point where Picard was just about to break, that's when he gets rescued. But the little the interaction between those two uh, were amazing, and, you know, for me, I always have a soft spot for Q. Anytime Q showed mm-hmm. up, you were going to have a good time. Mm-hmm. Q was great. Yeah. Yeah, when, when when Q actually made Data human for a second and turned him back, but also when when Q gave Data he gave Data he made Data laugh. He gave, gave him a true a true laugh. That thought was kind of cool. Yeah. What about you? What are uh, some of your favorites? The one episode that I liked was it was I can't the name I, the name escapes me. I'll describe it. Basically, the members of the Enterprise who are disappearing coming back. And for some odd reason, they, they, a couple of the members of the, of the crew remember <laughs> being in an environment like they're on a like they're on a table, like like the, their bodies were replaced, like they've been going through these series of surgical experiments, but it happens in a flash. So I think they're going crazy. It was a fascinating episode. Okay, I can't the name escapes me right now, but that one I really remember. That that kind of that was kind of cool. Uh, the one where Picard goes home to visit his brother. 
and he and he starts to uh, you know become human again. Him and his brother really find have have that that long overdue talk. So we learn more about Jean Luc, and you know that that one or the time where Q gave him the option of well, you know, what if he didn't? I think when Ricard was younger, he got into a knife fight mm-hmm. and he got stabbed in the heart, and that's how he came. It was so Q gave him the option of well, you can go back and change that environment. He did and it changed his whole life. So like like you always said, you know, when Q was that little you know, the little mystery factor in there. But when Q lost his powers, I was like, they needed to do that. They needed to make him, they need. They needed us to really, we loved him to be, being evil, but we really saw the humanity in him, or lack thereof, or trying to get it. But, you know, like I said, it, it was, that. that's probably like one, one of the all-time favorite characters on that show that had the ability to really change it in terms of how it's being written, but then in a way that really starts asking questions push, and pushing to the limit about the crew. Now, in the Chaos on a Bridge documentary, one of the writers in the show had this uh, great revelation during the interview, and he talked about, um, you know, Gene Roddenberry was a noted atheist. His version of Star Trek was essentially humans finally, you know, essentially Star Trek was Gene Roddenberry's version of heaven, and Q was God. Mm Mm-hmm. Really? Yeah. Slightly insane. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Well, a God that creates this world. Come on. (laughs) But, all right. So, some of my other favorites, too, are like a a, a lot of the shows in the holodeck, like the Dixon Hill episodes Mm -hmm. with with Picard. I love those. Um, Oh, you can't forget Unification. Spock, uh, it was the one where they think that Scott, that Spock is a traitor. Sarek dies. Um, Picard and I think Data or somebody, uh, had surgery to make themselves look like Romulans. They go to mm-hmm. Romulus and that's when Spock appears on the show for the first time. Yeah. Yeah. And that also corresponded at the same time where Gene Roddenberry passed away, but that was a very great episode and, you know, that, Encounter at Farpoint when, when McCoy showed up were, you know, mm-hmm. two big, uh, you know, torch passing moments. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was in season seven where Scotty, um, Scotty had a guest shot where you found out that Scotty, um, you know, was, he trapped himself, he intentionally trapped himself inside of a transporter console because a ship he was on was about to crash or something like that. And then the Enterprise finds a way to bring him back and, you know, he adjusts to life in the 24th century and then they have that little bit with him um, in the holodeck on a revamped ver- on, on the holodeck has the Enterprise as we all know it uh, from when from when uh, the, the 60s show that was great to see with Picard uh, I think he even took a seat in the captain's chair hmm. <laughs> um, one of my other favorites is uh, Tanagra do you guys remember that one it's this episode where the Enterprise encounters this alien race that uh, the Federation had tried to communicate with before, and they just couldn't talk to each other. They just could not communicate. And so Picard goes to try again, and the two captains are talking at each other through the uh, display screen, and they're just, both of them are totally confused, just completely confused, which is not an expression you normally see on Picard's face, so that moment in itself (laughs) is nice. Oh, yeah! We're like... I'm sorry, Kirchhoff narrative was like when the captain would say like kind of like emotional words when they were talking. 
Uh, he'd say uh, Jalak and someone at Tanaka. Darmark. Darmark. Yeah. Darmark. Yeah. Played by uh, Paul Winfield. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, and then he has his crew beam the two captains down to this planet, and they can't get beamed off. And and the two of them just like forced in this survival situation to to learn to communicate. And you know the the captain of the other ship ends up dying, but just that that whole process of you know the universal translator doesn't work and you have to um pick up on these other cues and 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 they finally manage to figure out kind of the linguistic you know they they use stories from their history to describe situations and just kind of the beauty of of the that new language and that new way of thinking and the way that everyone has to shift their perspective um that was that was a great episode and yeah. Riker's hot-headedness also and you're like okay you're not ready for the captain's <laughs> chair buddy step down <laughs> <laughs> all right so we will move on on the list the next feature film that came out is probably the worst one they made. Star Trek V, The Final Frontier. Um, we are introduced... Directed by William Shatner. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, they introduced the character of Cybok, um, Spock's brother, who is completely filled with emotion, and then they're going to go off and meet God, but God turns out to be an alien creature in a rubber suit that throws, you know, paper mache rocks at them. At the end of the episode. <laughs> Bring it closer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, I want to see the ship. Bring it closer. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, honestly, I don't know if there's really that much to say about that particular movie. I think that may have been one, too, to where they had a, had a continuity error where they had... Um, was it that one or a previous one where they had Yohura not understanding the Klingon language and they actually brought out a Klingon dictionary for her to interpret? I know they did that in one movie. I think they did it in five. I, I, I don't remember. Yeah. I don't remember. All right. Mm-hmm. Listen, mm-hmm. It, it, some, some got to be nice. Yeah. So let's, uh, let's yeah. move on. Yeah, we'll move on. All right. We'll go on <laughs> to the last and probably the third greatest of the original series films, Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country, um, written and directed by Nicholas Meyer, who uh, helped write and directed The Wrath of Khan and wrote Star, uh, Star Trek IV, um, the, the Voyage Home as well. I mean, Nicholas Meyer is probably one of the un- unsung heroes of the Star Trek franchise. I mean, without him, we may not be t- you know talking about this today. Um, but that's the one where um, the Klingons and the Federation have peace. But then some forces in the Federation uh, frame Kirk um, for the murder of a Klingon officer. uh, Kirk is put on a Klingon world that's a prison world where uh, David Bowie's wife, Amon, is there smoking cigars. Mm -hmm. And um, Shapeshifter. Shapeshifter, yeah. yeah. And then uh, the Enterprise ultimately uh, saves the day. Everybody's rescued, and there's peace among the Federation. Thoughts on this movie? Um, I like the fa- I like how it starts off. Sulu is a captain, and and the plan and and the Klingon world that they're they're mining their ore for explodes and sets off everything in motion. Christopher Plummer as the as as I think it's Kang, right, General, General Kang. Uh, yeah. Okay, you do remember that. Uh, I, th- I believe David Warner is in this one as well. He plays the uh, the the, the uh, Klingon ambassador. 
And I think Kurtwood Smith, the father from that '70s show, um, played in uh, played an alien character on that on that movie too. No, 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 no. no. Kurtwood Smith was the president of the Federation in four or five. Oh, that's, that's right. That's right. President. Yeah, I think I think David. I I I don't know if it's Warner, but we got to look that up. We got computers. We really could. Yeah. So anywho, yeah. So that yeah, that's how it starts off. And you're right. It really it it's it's incredible because there's this really inner plan. To you know, you know they they want to start a war. You know, you know one part the Federation is like we have a chance to take out the Klingons permanently after all of what they've done to us. I mean, it, it is a really fascinating story. Yep, uh, with Kim Cattrall as a scheming Vulcan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, can't forget that. Um, just overall, pretty darn good film and a good way to kind of wrap up the uh, original series characters. I mean, they were getting to that age to where. You know, you really could not picture them actively going on on missions again. I mean, I, I would think even Starfleet would, you know, say, you know, somebody in their seventies shouldn't be, you know, traveling the stars. Yeah, I mean, I think it was kind of a, a nice wrap up, and you know, the Klingons are, are very adversarial uh, in in the original series, and then kind of seeing them like trying to, you know, the, the ones who. You know, Kirk wasn't didn't have any love for them initially, and then seeing him trying to like rebuild that relationship and get over his own prejudices a little bit, I think, and and um, and <laughs> then all of a sudden being thrown in that prison. It, I mean, it was it was fun, and I think it was it was a good sort of. Uh, Progression from some of the issues that that were brought up in terms of the interspecies interaction in the original, and kind of like uh, growing beyond that and forging that relationship with the Klingon Empire, trying to and and um, yeah, I, I enjoyed that movie thoroughly. And with that, another episode of Friends Talking Nerdies in the Books. Thank you all for listening. This is Tim Jowsma. Uh, feel free to tune in next week as we conclude our conversation on all things Star Trek. Uh, we'll be touching on uh, Deep Space Nine, Voyager, the Next Generation movies, um, as well as the J.J. Abrams reboot and the future from there. So uh, we hope you all uh, enjoy us. Um, next week, uh, once again, we would like to thank uh, Ruth Firetag for her support via Patreon. She is our very first patron on the show. We love you to death. The moment I told uh, Maura, Noel, and uh, Sterling uh, and Ray the news, everybody uh, celebrated, and uh, we, uh, we we definitely enjoy your patron patronage here and uh anybody else if you if you want to join ruth and uh be a patron of the show go to patreon search for friends talking nerdy and uh support us from there um we'd also like to thank uh, latino uh lrm online latino review media uh for uh, their, their continued support of the podcast uh if you're uh listening uh to us via the youtube link i put up uh on on the articles there we thank you all for listening and uh to everybody if you haven't done so already subscribe we are in itunes we're in the google play music store uh we we want your support so uh thanks again for listening uh one more thing as always we thank christopher lazarick for his wonderful theme song head to christopherlazarick.com for information on how to buy his how on how to buy his ep here's to you which is available on all digital platforms thank you all for listening i'm just gonna give it all i've got like scotty engineering the enterprise Scotty, we need more speed. I'm giving her all she's got, Captain. She can't take any more. Damn.
Chekhov, reroute auxiliary power to the helm. Uh, Scotty, the bridge. Uh, Captain, this is, uh, this is a little embarrassing, but, uh, you know, I've never noticed, uh, the little lever I've been pushing, it's, it's only about two-thirds of the way up. I, I actually can give her more. That's great, Scotty. Mr. Spock, give us readings on... Uh, ca Captain, uh, Scotty again. Yeah, you're not gonna believe this. Uh, there is another lever here, too. The ship can literally go three times as fast. I... I'm sorry, but I feel like such a capital J jerk right now. It's okay, Scotty. Uh, Lieutenant Uhura, open all channels for... Captain, I, I've, I've got to uh, interrupt again. I, I've just been thinking about this, this given her all she's got thing. I mean, I, I've been completely wrong for years now. I, I feel terrible. I mean, think of how many crises we've been in where the issue was how fast we could go. I, I mean, I'm sorry, Captain. Scotty, it's okay. No, it's not. Eric's dead. At the funeral, I literally said the words to his wife. I was giving her all she's got. Scotty, it's fine. Sulu, lock phasers. Captain, I just got to jump in here. We, we don't have enough dilithium crystals to run the phasers. I've, I've lost all credibility, haven't I?